Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 17th of September, 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong Stories has been unable to have many live shows recently, and we're coming up to the end of our live recordings. We do have a few more, and we'll be publishing them for you to hear in the coming weeks. But we also have something a little bit different for our first story today. Our second story is from Jen, about the perils of not looking ahead. Before we get to today's stories, though, a thoroughly drenched hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know it's wet, but we appreciate you anyway. Hearty hellos go out to our overseas listeners as well. This week, particularly to listeners in Cornerbrook in Canada, Arcadia in California in the USA, and Poplar in the UK. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. A little while ago, we were approached by a local student, Vanya Chow. She explained for some time now she's been working with refugees and asylum seekers and has become fascinated by their stories of the challenges that they face living in Hong Kong. Vanya wanted to share these stories to help humanize an often overlooked community. She worked with Refugee Union to interview and write these stories. The following is the second of Vanya's stories that she wrote from what she heard in those interviews. We'll be podcasting a few more of these stories in the coming weeks, along with some older stories and some stories from the June live show. Vanya's writing project is called Neighbors in Limbo. And here with the first of these stories is Gina, reading Rima's story. Her elder boy, Adika, rushed in through the door after school, bursting with pride and excitement. Mama, he cried, thrusting a stack of papers at her from within the depth of his school bag. Unlike most papers in the possession of a ten-year-old, these papers were smooth, a sign of their owner's care. Atop the first sheet, in big, bold letters, were printed the words, School-Sponsored Student Public Speaking Competition, Singapore. Rima and her husband exchanged a glance. It was a look of mixed emotions. The pride at their son's being selected, but also the exasperation of knowing that his hopes had been raised for nothing. Good boy, she forced a smile. Get changed. Let's eat dinner first. Their worries were well placed. I don't understand, Adika's voice resonated through the apartment. Frustration, anger, and disappointment all gelled into one. Why can't I go? The once immaculate documents were crumped and stained with the damp marks of tears. It's all paid for anyways. Money wasn't the issue. As Adika continued to cry in the arms of her husband, Rima slipped away to the bathroom. In the mirror, she looked at herself. Pale cheeks, sunken eyes, the face of someone who did not know what to do. Rima felt responsible for depriving him of this opportunity, which he earned with his own hard work and ability. She was guilty for branding him with the status of a non-refoulement claimant and denying him the chances of travel his other schoolmates were entitled to. She despised being the reason he was seen differently in school, in public spaces, in the eyes of the legal system. It wasn't that she was ashamed of their history, but that she felt she failed as a parent, hindering her child's development. Rima knew 
that when she tried to explain, the tears would come streaming from her eyes. She was one who did not like showing her vulnerability, presenting her inner weakness to the world, even if it was only her family. The last time she cried was when their former landlord evicted them, leaving her, her youngest son and only newborn, homeless. Although this was many years ago, she still remembered her sense of weakness. She preferred to hide her emotions. Come with me tomorrow when I go to the ISS, International Social Services. They'll tell you why. The next day, Rima asked the ISS staff to explain to Adika why he could not enjoy the privilege he deserved. Unlike at home, Adika sat with shocking calmness in the room, nodding silently. Her 10-year-old son learned that he was different from all his schoolmates, that he was disadvantaged for a reason completely out of his control. He eventually came to terms with his reality, but continued to do well in school, ranking first in his whole grade, a feat that is difficult in the competitive education system in Hong Kong local school. However, Rima's frustration with the access to further education opportunities stuck with her, and she was vowed to do something. Rima held the book below the spill of light that found its way into her apartment from the street outside. She wanted to save electricity. The man in the book taught his readers how to pronounce, his mouth first arching into a perfect wide circle and then cinching into a pursed line. Horse, she projected. Horse, he projected silently, staring out of the page with such a lack of vigor that it was surprising publishers let the photograph be used. Looking down at the page, Rima repeated after the two-dimensional man. Horse, she whispered under her breath. The sound of the syllables was foreign and unnatural. For moments after she spoke, the discomfort continued to linger in the air, taunting her. To truly be able to improve the education prospects of her sons and represent the wishes of their community, Rima first had to be able to represent herself. Education was the only tool that could change lives, and she was adamant in providing it for her children. She must learn English to help her children. Hars, she whispered again. It was more difficult than she had anticipated, mastering another language. She knew the basic conventions of English, but was far from confident in pronunciation, syntax, and the nuances of speech. It's the O, not the A, her husband's gentle voice chided from the close behind, the moisture of his breath lingering on Rima's already sweat-coated skin. Come, repeat after me. Rima's fists clenched, repeated the word again, and again, and again, until she despised the sheer existence of the textbook, Regardless of her frustrations or despair, Rima continued to study the language day by day and slowly, then faster, her English became impressively fluent. As Rima spoke before the Hong Kong Legislative Council about the limitations her sons encountered in education, she knew the effort and pain that she endured was worth it. Although her attempts did not produce any legitimate change at that time, they drew much-needed attention at the underrecognized issue. Rima's greatest worries still revolve around the provision of quality education for her children. The better educated her children became, the more trouble that brought onto her. Her youngest son, Farrell, entered third grade the school year and ranked third with his year group. Rima knew that he would probably be chosen for the similar public speaking competition, and she would have to go through the whole refusal process again. What are we going to do? She whispered in the dark. 
turning onto her side so that she faced her husband and would not wake the sleeping children whose backs were pressed against hers. Despite not being able to see his face, she knew that it was a mask of anxiety. They lay there in bed for a moment, faces inches away from one another, sharing a bond of fixation, not speaking. What can we do? He returned softly, placing his hand atop Rima's. I know we would do anything to make it happen, but it simply wouldn't be enough. He paused, his hands making soft stroke across Rima's cheek. In that moment, feelings of vulnerability and helplessness washed over her again. She had done everything she could. What else was left? After his success in the public examinations, Adika was offered a place at university. However, government subsidies for non-refoulement claimants and refugees in education only cover up to secondary school level, not tertiary education. For her son to be able to continue pursuing his education, they needed a miracle. They needed sponsors willing to pay for all three years of his university degree, a near impossibility in expensive Hong Kong. As Rima and her husband lay in the darkness, side by side, they prayed. Rima's unwavering belief that education could permanently change life gave fuel to the hope of a sponsor for their son, Adika's education. We have no more plans, Rima said when she was interviewed for this project. All I know is that education is everything. Thanks to Vanya for sharing these stories and to Gina for volunteering to read it for us. Our storytelling community is very supportive. In October this year, we'll be hosting the second annual Student Story Slam, where Hong Kong students are invited to tell their stories on our stage. We're inviting students to learn to tell their true first-person stories with the help and guidance of seasoned storytellers on the theme of seconds. If you have an idea or you'd like to get yourself or your students involved, get in contact through our website, hongkongstories.com. Stories should be submitted before the end of September by following the links on the website. For our second story today, we have a story about the dangers in the wild. Here, with her story from 2018, is Jen. So, I have lived in the wild, untamed reaches of Hong Kong's territory, Chung Chow Island. Okay, maybe not wild, but there is more wilderness in Chung Chow than you'd find here in mid-levels. My apartment on Chung Chow was not in the village right around the ferry pier. It was about a 20-minute walk away on the other side of the island. A 20-minute walk along paved pathways that were lit at night by sparsely spaced tall lamps. But the tree cover was so thick that you needed a flashlight to avoid running into wild dogs. Well, to avoid stepping on their poo, mostly. But also to spot snakes before you got too close. In addition to the usual fauna of frogs and crickets and snails, Chung Chow has a lot of snakes. Cobras, pythons, bamboo vipers. Don't snort at me, there really are. (laughs) During the course of a year, I would spot maybe three or four snakes wandering around the paths. One time, I saw the dog that guarded the village house that I lived in square off against and take down a cobra that had slithered too close. 
The most trouble were the bright green bamboo vipers because they would hold their ground. If you sawed one of those, that meant that you had to back off and go around the other way, which might mean doubling your travel distance just to stay out of their way. There is a small hospital on Changchao and the possibility of medical evacuation by helicopter if need be, but I never wanted to test the efficiency of any of those services. So I just kept a flashlight handy and was vigilant, especially at night. One night, I was coming in on the last ferry, having had a night out with some friends in Hong Kong Island. And as I disembarked, I got out my flashlight and headed home through the village. As I walked through the trees, I could hear the frog song, and the path was crisscrossed with glistening snail trails. And it was also slimy from that moss that grows after the rain. And I'll admit I was not moving as steadily as I usually do because I had had a couple of drinks. <sighs> There's a point just before I got home where there was a gap in the trees on the right-hand side of the path, and the rocky edge that ran down to the sea was enclosing a couple of abandoned small houses. From the path to that rocky edge, there was about a three or four meter drop, so a chain link fence had been put in to make, keep anyone from going over. Where that fence is, the path starts to slope downwards. I would always look up when I got to that point in the trail, because as the trees are left behind, the sound of the South China Sea moving against the shore becomes stronger, and the view always caught my attention. There's a little bay there, and you can see the lights of a few small houses twinkling on the other side, and in the middle of that shoreline, there's a temple peeking out of the trees. That's when I stepped down and felt something lumpy and round under my right foot. But I registered that too late and came down with my full weight, squelch crunch. I'd squashed a snail. Now, I had done this before, and I felt bad every time, but in this instance, I didn't have time to feel pity because my right foot, because of the slope and the slime and probably the drinks, started to slide forward too fast for me to regain control. Just before I ended in the forward splits, my left knee came down hard on the pavement, and I was pitched forward to the edge of the path. My forward motion ended in a cymbal crash against the chain link fence, and I hung there, gripping the metal, looking at the rocky drop below me. Something moved in the corner of my eye, and I looked down and saw my flashlight, which I'd thrown, rolling down the slope. As I peeled myself off the chain link fence, my knee started to throb. But much worse was the pain of the embarrassment. I was so glad that there weren't that many people living in that part of the island because nobody had seen me wipe out. I very delicately brushed the dirt off my knee and saw that I was bleeding badly. Fortunately, I was only five minutes from home, although I had to hobble pretty slowly that night, so it probably took more like ten. When I got home, I inspected my knee and saw that there was a deep cut where something had gouged me. Very carefully, trying not to cause too much pain, I used some tweezers to pick broken snail shells out of the wound. And I rinsed it out with water, and I wiped around it with rubbing alcohol, but I'll admit I did not do a very thorough job because it hurt like hell. A couple days later, I'd have to go and see a doctor because it would all get horribly infected. I have now got an expanded respect for all of Mother Nature's creatures. 
that little snail may have been small. I may have obliterated it. But that little fucker literally used every fiber of his being to try and take me out with him. I no longer focus my worrying on the snakes. I know anything out there can get you. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>